team, amazing. Yeah. Well, who feels better now after some worship? Just, uh, it's good, isn't it? That's true. Well, I want to um, share for a little bit today on, I've called it God is always on the move. Because um, sometimes, even when it's very gentle, even like this morning when God um, moves in a room as we're worshipping, sometimes it can be really gentle, sometimes it can be really powerful and very dramatic, and, and sometimes in the moments when it's a little quieter or more gentle, the tendency is for us humans to want dramatic things because we live in a world that's very dramatic. It's very confronting. It's very now. It's very in your face. And so um, we can actually form an atmosphere around our lives where unless it's loud, fast and proud and really happening, then we can tend to think that maybe things aren't really building in us. Maybe we're not doing it the right way. Maybe God actually isn't on the move for us. But I've found that, and I'm sure a lot of you have as well, that in the seasons where it can be a little bit drier, in the seasons where his presence might be withdrawn a little bit, in the seasons where maybe there's questionings, maybe the big happenings of God aren't occurring around us, these are the seasons when God really digs deep. And they're the seasons to be treasured because God is always on the move. I want to read um, from 1 Kings chapter 19. A lot of you will know this passage as the Jezebel passage. It's not really what I want to focus on this morning. I know a lot of you sigh, breathe a sigh of relief. Oh, good. We don't need that this morning. But, um, but I, want to, I want to bring something out. And um, Elijah had just been on Mount Carmel and just seen a dramatic, one of the most dramatic um, demonstrations of the power of God where he called down fire on the altar and the prophets of Baal were consumed. I mean, this is, this is something serious, right? This is very, very serious. And so here we have a man of God who has seen some of the most dramatic um, demonstrations of the power of God on the face of the earth in the history of mankind. And then a little after than that, we see that um, Ahab, who was the king, had gone and told his wife Jezebel what Elijah had done through God's power. And, um, and she sort of snarls at him and tells him, you know, I'm going to wipe you out. And instantly that big, dramatic man of God cowers and whimpers and runs for his life. It's, it's such a, a weird um, passage in a way because... I'm, I, I can't think that uh, these 400, 450 prophets of Baal who, who had all sorts of demonic stuff going on, I'm sure combined they had a fair bit of demonic demonstration in and of themselves. And yet here we have um, Jezebel really with a spirit of death and intimidation for the prophet 
says words to the prophet, and for some reason her words stuck. I don't know why, but she was in some sort of authority. Obviously, she, she was the wife of the king. And so those words, maybe it was a moment of weakness or maybe it's coming down from the big demonstration of God. Like sometimes we can have a big encounter of God. And then after that, we need to be watchful. We need to be watchful for what people say to us. We need to make sure we're careful of the guard posts of our own heart so that that encounter doesn't get robbed, so that someone doesn't try to cheapen it or or tell you that shaking's wrong in church or something like that. And, and this is when the enemy can come in after a dramatic encounter because he knows maybe we're a little vulnerable right now. Maybe the heart is wide open. And so the enemy comes in at a moment of weakness. And that's what happened to Elijah. And um, we'll pick it up, I think, at... Um, I just don't want to read us too much. But, okay, we'll pick it up at... Uh, a bit way through verse 9. And the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, broken down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. The Lord said, Go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. And um, I'm going to park it there for a minute because I think that this depicts really well what we often look for when we're looking for a word from God. We might go to the most obvious places, the, the, obviously the earthquake, the fire, the strong wind. These sorts of things are dramatic and God did make those things happen, but his voice wasn't in those things. And so when we're trying to hear the voice of God, maybe we're trying to get direction, maybe we're trying to get clarification or confirmation, or maybe we're just trying to get breakthrough to a whole new level in what he wants for us. We've got to be really careful which demonstration we, we look out for and we watch because it would be very easy to maybe go to the obvious places. But sometimes the obvious places are not the place of the voice of the Lord. And so an obvious place might be that you go to a prophetic conference wanting a prophetic word and there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, we've done it. There's, there's nothing in itself wrong with that. But maybe that wasn't the way that God wanted to speak to you that time. Maybe it was a gentle whisper instead of the really, really blatant, obvious thing. Because the thing is, the Lord is so gracious, he'll still speak to us. He'll still speak to us through the prophet. But it, it might have been a 6 out of 10, not a 10 out of 10. So he's gracious enough to give us something because we might have made the effort and the hunger, hunger in our hearts. And so he does do that. But it may not have been the pinnacle word or the breakthrough thing that we were really needing in that season. Because he wanted to bring that in intimacy. He wanted to bring that in the gentle whisper. And so it really um, goes against the grain a little bit. I find this. It goes against the, our humanity and our flesh to hear the voice of the Lord in the quiet place. 
the place where maybe no one's even speaking to you, maybe even not preaching to you, not even on. I mean, we listen to podcasts every night, but maybe that's just not doing it for you anymore. It sends us asleep really well, we've actually found. So um, especially if you get guys with a real monotone voice, it's like 10 minutes in, you're out. You know, that's awesome. Karen really likes it now. I've got her into doing it. So anyway, I won't give you the names, but afterwards you can ask me of some of the... By the way, it's Jill's birthday tomorrow. Is it? Yeah. Happy birthday, Jill. That's fantastic. And, um, and she is a, a very wise, wise age, aren't you? But feeling sprightly and great. <laughs> I didn't believe, actually, when she said her age, but I won't say that publicly. I'm not at liberty to do so. Ask Trisha later. <laughs> anyway, so where was I? Uh, I've totally lost myself. Podcast, that's right. Um, anyway, so I've, I've gone away from there, but I've got three um, F words. That'll scare you. Three F words that God uses to speak to us. This may be my most memorable sermon because of that. Because I know a whole lot of you are sitting there with one particular word going through your head. And that's not it, okay? Food is not what I'm talking about. The first one is frustration. God will speak to us in our frustration. And, and we may not even realize this, we get worked up and the rubber band just gets tighter and tighter and tighter and we try and go to the left. Maybe we get, you know, a couple of kilometers down the left, it's still there. And then we go north and we head west and we, every direction is still getting tighter until we finally yield to the gentle whisper. And may, it may be a wise person said it to us a year ago and we just have not wanted to hear it. And so we would rather wind ourselves up with anxiety because surely that wasn't it. I'm going to find my own way. And so frustration finally leads to the answer. It finally leads to the voice of God. But it's the hard way, isn't it? Sometimes it's fire. And we've had many times here in church and people have been to conferences or maybe you've had times with the Lord yourself where the fiery presence of God comes and he speaks. And this is valid, it's amazing, it's good. And, and these are the kind of encounters that we continue to pray for. And, and um, I, I think probably um, one of the most dramatic um, things that I can remember in, in reading, we spent years and years and years when we first started to get hungry for the presence of God, just reading revivalist after revivalist after revivalist after miracle worker, you name it. We just got our hands on every single thing we could possibly get hold of. And, and one that stays in my mind that left a mark on the US and the world was Charles Finney, who was a lawyer. And he had a baptism of fiery love. And it left him completely, completely undone. He had to run out into the woods and seek the face of God for hours until he, he heard what God wanted him to do with the fire. Because sometimes we have the fire, but then we don't know what to do with the fire. And I think that this has actually been a challenge for River Holy Spirit Revival Churches for the last 20 years is what do we do with the fire? What do we do with the fire? Do we stay in a group and we all um, keep catching the fire together? 
Or do we try and release the fire to our suburbs and our regions and other people, but what happens when they just think we're weirdos with the fire? And so it's like this, this real wisdom is needed to carry the fiery presence. And so um, the third thing is famine. And I spoke on that a, a few weeks ago, that in the famine time is like a, a stretched out version of what we see here with Elijah. Elijah's ran out to the desert, a day's journey into the desert. That's how oppressive this spirit of intimidation that came upon him. And you may have had that before where you know that God's called you to something or you, maybe you know you've got the job or you've, you're, the office is the right one for you and you're doing what you're ordained to do. But then an intimidatory spirit comes against you, maybe, between, maybe a jealous person, maybe someone who didn't get the promotion that you got, or maybe it's someone around you who doesn't understand you because peers don't always accept promotion of peers too well. And so this is a challenge, especially in Australia, when peers get, to get promoted is to honour one another. Uh, because it challenges this spirit in us to rise up against one another and want to see something in one another. And so there may be situations that you can remember when you felt intimidated. Intimidated is not flesh and blood. It's not that person standing in front of you, even though they may carry it, they may have given way to it, they may have given authority to it. It's a spirit that tries to bring down the gift and call and destiny in you and in me. And when we recognize that, we can see where it's coming from. And often it comes in the famine. It sometimes comes in the frustration, but normally we're so wired that we're just too busy trying to work out our own mess. And sometimes it comes in the fire, but normally it's just like a purifying fire and we're just enjoying that. Normally it's in the famine. It's when things are seeming to recede. It's when the water's going out. It's when maybe people have left you. It's maybe the the voice of the Lord is quiet. You're just not finding anything in his word anymore. Worship's boring. Um, People are annoying you. And so it's in that dry place. It's in that dry place that often this intimidatory or rejection or one of these negative voices begins to get louder and louder. So we have to be very careful in the place of famine. The good thing is, God then met Elijah there supernaturally and brought him back out. And so he will do that for us as well. If we remain faithful, if we remain committed, if we stick in with the thing that he called us to, he will not let you down. He will not let you down. I can promise you that. Because history testifies to the truth of that. The Bible testifies to the truth of that. Don't let go of the promise. Don't let go of the journey. You've come this far. You've come this far and you might just be moments away, moments away from breakthrough, moments away from the Lord coming again in a gentle whisper. Listen for it. Listen for the whisper. Don't necessarily wait for the the email that comes and says, here's a million dollars. I'm now starting your ministry and you're going itinerant. We're we're starting in Africa, then we're going to Europe and I've got all the stadiums ready for you. Sometimes this is what we can be effectively, I mean, I know that's an illustrative version of it, but we might have a very pint-sized version of that, of our release into ministry or our promotion into business or our promotion into when people will finally listen to me. And in the gentle, gentle whisper, when we let go of the frustration and we realize we need the fire, but in that 
posture of famine, we might hear that gentle whisper. And we hear his voice. And in this case, God was so close, he had to cover himself because of the holiness of God. And so wouldn't that be an awesome thing? If the holiness of God met you in your place of prayer, in your place of prayer where it's just you and him in that intimacy. Romans 8.28 says, And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. This is a famous verse. Most of us would have heard it hundreds of times. But if we think about this, every single circumstance that God allows in our life, he's going to use. Even the ones that we despise. Even the ones that we just never want to think about ever again in our lives. He's going to use them as well. It's like ammunition for promotion. Ammunition for that posture that he wants you and I in. He's building something. He's building something in us. But it takes a groundswell. It takes years and years of swirling the ground and bringing up that fruit out of the soil. And Romans 8.28, this verse is one that we can always remember. It doesn't matter how bad, how good. You know, it's interesting. I, I remember someone said to me in business, it was one of my advisors when we were going really, really well. And I didn't really like what he said at the time, but, you know, 10 years later, I'm fine with it now. It's actually totally true. But he actually said to me, remember this, that things are never as good as they seem and they're never as bad as they seem. And uh, now, things can get pretty bad sometimes, okay? But when they get really, really bad, and, and I know a lot of you may have been through circumstances that we haven't even seen, when they get really, really bad... Like Elijah, you know, Elijah, the great prophet, what he wanted to do, all he wanted to do was go and curl up and die. And so the spirit of intimidation, the spirit of the enemy wants to come and impress all the worst things that you've ever experienced and going to experience and make them worse. Make them seem worse. So he puts like this compounding effect onto bad feelings, bad thoughts. He makes them seem worse than they really are. They're really not that bad. And so the peaks and the troughs of life, and you might say, well, that's a bit depressing if the things that I thought were really good aren't that good. Well, what, what it means is the ultimate to ultimate happiness is heaven, right? That's the ultimate. However, when we may experience things here on earth, and sometimes we, we may have a great experience, it might be, a, I don't know, a holiday or something like that, and when we're telling people, it's like, yeah, it's the best thing in the world. It's, no, it's not. Jesus is and heaven is. And so this is where we get a heaven's perspective and realize it's, it was amazing. It was fantastic as a human. It was, it's like as good as it gets, but it's not as, it's not as good as it possibly can be. And same with the down cycle. It's not as bad as it could be. Ultimately, death is the worst, but then we get a great promotion anyway. And so... Sometimes I find it good to remember that because the enemy is a liar. He is such a liar. He is a liar. He will turn anything into a lie. He will turn a good thought into a lie. He will turn when someone comes and says, you look really nice today. He's such an idiot that he will turn that around and you will hear, oh, they actually don't think that, but they're being sarcastic. 
Or do you know what I mean? He so twists things and deceives us into believing the worst and hearing the worst that he wants to bring everything down, push everything down to a negative level. And let's remember what his aim is. John 10.10, the thief comes only to steal, kill and destroy. That's his only aim, is to steal, kill and destroy who? The believers of Jesus Christ, the worshippers of Jesus Christ. Why? Because he once was one and he tried to deceive everyone, but he knows he doesn't win, he knows he didn't win, and therefore his aim now is to try and deceive as many with counterfeit sonship as he possibly can. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. It's a good thing to remember because sometimes we can uh, maybe uh, think that there's certain things that he won't do or, or maybe the enemy's like this or he's like that, but we just got to remember his only aim is to steal, kill, and destroy Christians, believers, people ultimately because people All people have the capacity to be worshippers of Jesus Christ. That's why he wants to wipe out all humanity. But we're the number one thing. And so it's at times like this when, in fact, I'll read read Ephesians 6.10 because I think this is, I mean, this famous passage, armor of God, we all know it. But sometimes we need to be reminded of what are our real weapons to stay conquering, to stay powerful, to stay victorious. Ephesians 6.10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. The devil does have schemes against us, but here's how we stand against them. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, authorities, powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you've done everything to stand. Now, ultimately, I think the day of evil is talking about this Elijah moment. It's the moment when the enemy may know we're at a weak point. We might be in a famine. The gate might be left open. We might be vulnerable. That's when the enemy knows to try and bring that word in or or try and twist that person's words into something negative or that situation or make you doubt yourself, make you think that you haven't got what it takes to do what God's called you to do. Or maybe he just um, keeps everything so silent and tries to remove any sort of positivity in your life that that victory moment is further and further away. Put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. It was a supernatural experience that allowed Elijah to stand his ground. I mean, this would be nice if if God would choose to supernaturally always bring some sign, some demonstration into our path. But in my 40 years, it hasn't very, happened very often. So therefore, I've had to dig into the equity, dig into the relationship that I have with Jesus and find out out of intimacy. Not out of demonstration, but out of intimacy. And this is the challenge of the church in, in revival atmospheres is to not seek God out of demonstration, but seek him out of intimacy. And if we seek him out of demonstration, we might be looking for the fire, we might be looking for the wind and the earthquake, but he wants to come and have intimacy with us.
He wants to come and meet with us. He wants to be with us. He had to send Elijah all the way out into the desert to finally get him to hear his voice again. He was too busy panicking. He was too busy panicking and running away from this one little voice who couldn't really do too much to him ultimately. And so we have to be very careful what decisions we make in the famine time. We have to be very careful what decisions we make in the frustration time as well and in the fire time. Because in any one of those three, if we make wrong decisions in that posture, then we make decisions out of that expression. So if we're frustrated, we're going to make frustrated decisions. If we're having the fire of God come upon us and, and we make decisions in that posture for that set up the rest of our life and we say, okay, fire, oh God, I love your presence. I'm going to Africa for life. But that, that was a fiery encounter. It wasn't necessarily the reason to go and do something right then and there. And it's the same in the famine. If in the famine we just begin to think everything's going to be like this all the time. The famine doesn't last forever. That's a word for some of you, maybe one or two this morning, but I think maybe one or two hundred this morning. The famine doesn't last forever. It's coming to an end. Probably sooner than you think. Probably just around the corner. Probably there's some surprising little moments that even though you think you're way out in the desert, maybe you've lost the vision, maybe you've lost the calling, maybe you've lost even the promise or even the desire of it. Exactly like Elijah. That's where the Lord met him in the place of famine. He said, do, do not worry. Do not worry. And so this morning it might be that you're in a famine. I want to encourage you, if you're in a place of frustration, don't make any decisions at all. It's the worst place in the world to make decisions, especially financial or family. There's a lot of Fs this morning, isn't there? That wasn't, that wasn't purposed. Remember, your struggle is not against flesh and blood. Now, a lot of people take this passage and turn it into a spiritual warfare passage, which is completely valid to do. However, sometimes we can focus so much on uh, the middle part of verse 12 that says, against the rulers, against the authorities, the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And so all our energy then goes into combating um, half of verse 12. And, and we're forgetting that actually what it commands us to do is put on the full armor of God. It doesn't say here, so begin an intercessory course that begins for the next 20 Eight, nine thousand years of your life that, because sometimes the spiritual warfare prayer cycles never end. And so you live your whole life focusing on praying against the rulers and authorities. And it's not wrong to do that. But if our whole life is consumed with that, what about the light? What about the expression of heaven? What about the expression of Jesus? What about the expression of love? And so I believe this should be a one out of ten. A one out of ten. In a balanced Christian church, I believe this kind of posture should be a very small portion of praying against those things. Why? Because Jesus has defeated those things. So my posture and my mind, can, my mind can't grapple with um, the massive loads of strategy and spiritual warfare. Why? Because there's, uh, it's, I'm a funny breed. And when I think of things like that, and I even think of church this way, and I think of this kind of expression, I think, okay, but I've got to be able to bring it back to the gospel somehow. 
I've got to be able to bring it and make it relevant to the gospel. I've got to find it in the gospel. I've got to find their strategy on taking a city. I've got to find their strategy on spiritual warfare. And I don't even really hear them talking about it. It's really annoying if you really want to get into hardcore spiritual warfare because there's, there's not a, lot, a whole lot of it. They went in with the gospel of Jesus Christ, with the power and the demonstration of the Holy Spirit, and the kingdom of God advanced. And sometimes we just need to make it that simple. Because I don't know about you, but sometimes it, it, can, it can get really hard because you'll read one book and it says to do, uh, take your land and do this sort of stuff this way. But then you'll read another one that said, don't do that. And so five years of your life, you were doing it a certain way. And then now what do I do? Well, let's just get back to the gospel. Let's just get back to the gospel. And I'm not saying don't be wise. Of course, we read our word, we understand, we have discernment, we have wisdom, we have prophetic inclinations. But those things, you know, it's, it's what I, um, I find myself saying this a lot in, when I'm talking in a, in a prophetic way or to prophetic people, that prophecy is only one gift out of nine. It's only one gift out of nine. It's not everything. And so we need to complement the prophetic and warfare and all these other things with all the Word of God, with all the gifts, all the fruits, nine fruits, nine gifts. Amazing that there's nine fruits. Some of us, we, we might express all nine gifts, but very few, few, very few fruits. So we need fruit, fruit, fruit. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. This is Spiritual Warfare 101. Be strong in his mighty power. Not in yours, because you're flesh and blood. Not in mine, because I'm flesh and blood. Not in just even a, a, someone else who's you know, greater and has more anointing than I have, because they're still flesh and blood. It doesn't matter who you look to. We were listening to a podcast this week of a guy that um, we really respect, a, a theologian, and, and he was, he's 80 now. And he was saying in his 80 years... He doesn't matter how beautiful and wonderful that man or woman of God has been, invariably, at sooner or later, they've let him down because they're flesh and blood. And so we take our eyes off flesh and blood and we realize that it's in his power that we do anything good. It's in his authority that we get promoted. It's in his healing power that we get healed. It's in his voice that we hear the next chapter of our lives. Let's stand this morning and I want to pray today that maybe this month will be a month of the gentle whisper of the Holy Spirit to you and to me and um, and that he will speak wisdom words of wisdom Words of wisdom to know how to handle ourselves, to know how to speak, to know how to um, properly organize things around us, maybe family, maybe finances, um, key decisions that we may have in this season. We need the voice of the Lord. We don't necessarily need the voice of the financial planner, as good as they are, and, and we go to them too. But ultimately, we need the voice of the Lord. So Lord, we ask today that you would open up a season for us as, as a house that the gentle whisper of your voice may be heard, 
that we would posture ourselves to receive from you in this season, that words of wisdom, words of life, words of clarity, words of honesty, of truth, even truth that takes us beyond our own orphanness. And maybe we don't want to hear some of those things, but Lord, you love us and all things work together for the good of those who love you. So I ask that you would gently speak to us, even through our orphanness of what we may not want to hear, that you would speak anyway. We give you permission, Lord. We give you permission to speak the word of the Lord for this season for each one of us. And Lord, we ask that your hand would rest upon us. Your hand would rest upon us. Holy Spirit, even now I pray that you'd open our ears to hear. Open our ears to hear. Open our ears to hear. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Yeah, there's a guy up the back there, right up the back over here with a goatee. Yeah? Yeah. What's your name? Michael. Michael. I get a sense that um, there's, there's been almost a change in your life, and that change has brought about something fresh for you, maybe hard, but uh, a fresh hunger in you a fresh hunger in you that's awakening your insides. I want to tell you that it's only the beginning. It's only the beginning. There's, there's a lot more awakening coming in your spirit that you didn't even know existed. It's like emotions are going to begin to come forth and, and a heart awareness, a heart awakening that's going to come forth. People are just going to warm to you. They're going to warm to you because you're just going to become one big heart. And people are going to be attracted to you because of that heart. And I just see hunger all over you. And there's a hunger on you that is irresistible to Jesus. It's just irresistible. I mean, I, I couldn't resist saying something to you this morning. I was going to, but I just, he, he drew it out of me. And that's what he does. You know, you've pressed in. And you've touched his hem. And he sees you and he knows you. And he has a call, a great call on your life for, um, I, I don't know whether it's ministry in a normal sense, but it's ministry in a relational sense with Jesus because he's with you and his hand is on your life. And um, you're going to be a healer of relationships, a healer of relationships. He's going to give you counsel and wisdom to be able to teach and train other people and bring them into their destiny. I see you with couples and um, you're going to help couples and you're going to speak words of wisdom over them. And this will be in time. This won't be right now. I say that because often when people give prophetic words, they go out and just do it straight away. But this is in time. Over the next few years are like training years. He's going to be sowing in treasures into your spirit. But look out, look out for opportunities because next year there's a few key opportunities that he's going to bring your way and you're going to need a lot of wisdom to know which ones are from him and which ones are second best because there's, there's one that's just right for you. And I get a sense that when you have, uh, like you have now a few guys around you, you need to just listen to them and hear and say, Lord, what's in this for me? What's, what's this one for me? Because it's significant, okay? It's significant. And so, Lord, I just pray it's over Michael this morning that you would bless him, that you would release moments of destiny in the next 12 months for him, that you'll give him such a heart 
for you, Lord Jesus, that you would baptize him in fire, that you would baptize him with a fresh anointing, a fresh unction of the Holy Spirit even today. And Lord, I thank you for him and for what he's going to do for you in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Isn't God good? Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. I just, I see a lady, um, Rachel, behind you. In fact, behind Chris. Yeah. Yeah. Just um, point to her so she knows who she is. Thanks, Brian. Okay. What's your name? Natalie. Natalie. Okay. I like the name. We have a Natalia. Very close. Uh, I just, it really short and simple, I, I see um, a family wisdom on you. A family wisdom. A wisdom for family, a wisdom, for, uh, a heart for family. Um, but that even through, uh, all things work together for good, right? So even in those dark places, he's been lining things up to bring you into a moment that you're in right now. And I believe you're about to come into a fresh season, a fresh season of understanding why those things happened. And you're going you're gonna to have some aha moments where like, ah, oh, okay, I can see the Lord was with me there. I can see he's been bringing some of these things finally for good. The old season has passed. It's gone. It's like he's closing the door and a new season is coming and it's going to be fresh and it's going to be good. But there's a familiar, a family blessing, a family wisdom and a family blessing that you have. So give it away. Just give it away out of your heart. Don't, don't block it. Don't restrict it. Just let it out because your family needs your wisdom and it needs your heart. It doesn't need your head necessarily. It needs your heart because you have a big one for your family and for those people around you, right? So, Lord, I just pray this morning for Natalie, Lord, that you would release heaven over her home. You would release the angelic hosts over her home. That when people walk in there, they'll encounter you, Jesus. And Lord, I pray a fresh blessing over her. That the old season is gone. We close it today. And Lord, we ask for fresh new bread in this new season. And Lord, that your blessing would be with her. Your life and your destiny and your voice. Your voice would speak to her clearly in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Yeah, we bless you, Lord. Yeah, well, I'm really not sure what to do. So I'm actually really getting quite hot up here, so that sometimes happens when the Holy Spirit's here. But um, if you want to touch from him this morning, just come down the front. We're just going to pray over you quickly. We'll... we'll um, We'll, uh, what will we do? Will we have a band or CD? Let's have a vote. <laughs> I'm stuck. Karen likes band. I like CD. I don't know. Let's throw on a CD.